Chapter 4, Verses 1 and 2 of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Elipetti, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipetti. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, 1. Christ fasteth and is tempted. 11. The angels minister unto him. 13. He dwelleth in Capernaum. 14. Beginneth to preach. 18. Calleth Peter and Andrew. 21. James and John. 23. And healeth all the diseased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterwards and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Elias the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon, and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with the devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Of the devil, Syriac, by the accuser, Greek, Diablos, accuser, 
Calminator. For Satan is he who accuses men before God perpetually, that he may gain them for himself and Gehenna. Then, that is immediately after his baptism, hence St. Mark says, straightway the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Whence it would appear that Christ, on the same sixth day of January, on which he was baptized, was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And at the close of the same day, he commenced his forty days fast, which he would finish on the 15th of February. Thus, speedy in every good work are both Christ and the Holy Spirit. Was led, Greek, in Echithi, i.e., was withdrawn, and taken away out of the midst of the multitude of the people, with whom he had hitherto dwelt, that he might have time for prayer and fasting. Mark has the Spirit driveth him, where the word drive denotes the power, efficacy, and alacrity of the Spirit which was in Christ, and which was to be in the apostles and all other Christians, and which was to drive or impel them to heroic acts of virtue, according to the words, Romans 8, as many as are driven by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Christ, then, was led by the Spirit, not wrapped through the air, but through the impulse of the Spirit, going with the utmost alacrity upon his feet to the scene of his contest with the devil. The desert was Christ's wrestling ground of prayer and fasting, and an angelic life, where he entered upon his duel with Lucifer and vanquished him. The Wilderness this desert is called Quanratana. Andronimus, in his description of the Holy Land, gives the following account of it out of Brocardius and others. The desert of Quarantana, between Jerusalem and Jericho, begins near Anathoth and extends above Gilgal, as far as the desert of Tekoa and Engedi, by the Dead Sea. Here dwelt John the Baptist, in the same wilderness is a mountain called also Quandratra. It is near the Jordan, lofty and difficult of access. Here the Lord was first tempted of Satan. There is upon the top a ruined chapel, held in veneration on account of Christ's fast and prayer. Tropologically listen to St. Ambrose. Let us too follow Christ, far from luxury, far from lavaciousness living as it were in the arid soil of his life of fasting. Not in the marketplace, not in the broad streets is Christ found. So let us not seek for Christ where he cannot be found. Christ is not in the courts of law, for Christ is peace. In the courts are lawsuits. Christ is justice. In the forum is iniquity. Christ is charity. In the forum is detraction. Christ is fidelity and the forum is fraud and perfidy, etc. Of the Spirit, not the devil, but the Holy Ghost. This is clear from the 16th verse of the third chapter. The Spirit of God, therefore, was the possessor and charioteer of Christ, driving him into the desert, whence the Syriac has, of the Spirit of holiness, i.e. the Holy Ghost, the fountain of all holiness. This is clear, too, from the presence of the Greek article to nebmatos, and the spirit is here put in opposition to the devil, who follows as the adversary of Christ and the Holy Ghost, that Christ's own spirit might lead him where the evil spirit might find him to tempt him, says St. Gregory. 
that he might be tempted of the devil. The word that does not signify that the Holy Ghost directly intended that the devil's temptation should assail Christ, for that were an evil thing, but only that the temptation should be permitted for the sake of Christ's profit and victory, which he surely foresaw, and so opposed Christ as it were an athlete to the devil. 1. In the first place, the Holy Spirit intended by this temptation to afford to Christians baptized and converted to God an ideal of religious life, whereby they should know that they must fortify themselves against the temptations which are sure to attack them. So Saints Chrysostom and Hilary. Whence Tertullian teaches that it is here signified that no one without temptation shall attain the kingdom of God. 2. The Holy Ghost would show that there is no temptation which may not be overcome by grace, by prayer and fasting, by repeating the words of Scripture, the precepts and promises of God. 3. Christ, who was often tempted by Satan, thus showed himself to be like unto all other men. His brethren, as the Apostle teaches, Hebrews 4. 4. That he might show that those who are about to become doctors, preachers, prelates, apostles, must need be first proved by temptations, and be strengthened by prayer and meditation in solitary retreats, and there drink in a large supply of the Spirit, which they may afterwards pour forth upon others. They who be wise first go apart with Christ into the wilderness of prayer and meditation, that challenging Lucifer to battle, he might vanquish him and his whole army of demons with him. This duel between Christ and the devil is as when the sun struggles with the surrounding clouds. With this motto, splendor is from me, for the sun, as St. Ambrose says, is the eye of the world, the pleasantness of day, the beauty of the heaven, the measure of seasons, the strength and vigor of all the stars. As the sun dissipates the clouds, so does Christ in all the temptations of the devil. And again, as the sun makes brilliant the darkest clouds, so does Christ, by the splendor of his grace, convert desolation into consolation, temptations into victories, war into triumph. 6. That by his temptation, as an example, he might overcome our temptations, and might teach us to fight with and overcome the same antagonist. For although the faithful, conscious of their own infirmity, ought to avoid temptations as far as they can, according to the words of Christ, lead us not into temptation. Yet, when temptations do come, they must, relying upon Christ, valiantly resist them, remembering his words, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Whence St. Augustine, on Psalm 91, says, Therefore was Christ tempted, that the Christian might not be overcome by the tempter. For as St. Ambrose says, When thou art tempted, Recognize that a crown is being prepared for thee. Take away the contests of the martyrs. You take away their crowns. Take away their torments. You take away their beatitudes. Is not the temptation of Joseph the celebration of his virtue? Is not the wrong of his prison the crown of his chastity? St. Luke says, Being tempted of the devil forty days. From this some think that besides the three temptations mentioned by the evangelist, Christ suffered many other temptations during these 40 days. They also think that verse 14 points in the same direction, 
and when he had ended all the temptation. Thus Euthemius, Jansen, and Cajetan, Origen, Bede, Augustine. St. Luke, by using the present particle, perezomenos, which the Vulgate renders by the imperfect, was being tempted, seems to refer principally to the three celebrated temptations of Christ, as the summing up, as it were, and the chief of all of them. As Suarez rightly points out, of the devil, namely Lucifer, the prince of all demons, and it was just that Christ should now contend with him, as he had afore contended with him in heaven, when he cast Satan ambitiously seeking the hypostatic union, and envious that he was about to become man, down to Tartus, as some suppose. Lucifer, therefore, at this time, came forth from hell, and taking the form of a man, of a holy man, says Carthusianus, tempted Christ, one that he might make trial whether he were God's own son in very deed, and two that he might entice him to sin, as therefore Lucifer through Eve tempted Adam and overcame him, so he tempted Christ and was overcome by him. We are here taught that when the devil foresees any one will be an illustrious doctor of the church, he is accustomed to assail him with various temptations, that he may cast him down and destroy the harvest of souls which he sees he may reap, that he may choke the fruit in the seed, as now he strove to strangle all Christians in Christ their parent. And when he had fasted, Christ, after the example of Moses and Elias, fasted forty whole days and nights, without taking any food or drink whatever. He fasted not by natural, but by supernatural strength, and not by strength received from without, as Moses and Elias, but by his own proper and intrinsic, that is to say, divine strength, as the fathers teach, pass him. You ask for what reasons Christ fasted. I answer, one, that by prayer and fasting he might prepare himself for his work of preaching, and teach us to do the same. Two, objectively, that by the hunger consequent upon his fasting, he might afford the devil an opportunity of tempting him, and by the same fasting might arm himself and teach us to arm ourselves against temptations. So St. Basil. 3. That by macerating his flesh, he might make satisfaction for Adam's eating the forbidden fruit, and for all the gluttony of his posterity. 4. That he might dispose himself for holy contemplation, and show that fasting is as wings, whereby the soul is carried upward to celestial things. 5. That he might teach us to despise corporeal for the sake of spiritual delights, and that by the contemplation of divine things, and the joy which arises from that contemplation, the longing for carnal pleasures is quenched, and the thought of food and drink taken away. Whence the abbot John, as Cassian testifies, was so fed with the pleasures of contemplation that he could not remember whether he had eaten the day before or not. 6. And chiefly, that he might inaugurate the Lenten fast, observed by Christians according to apostolic tradition, that he might sanction and, as it were, consecrate this fast by his example. So St. Ignatius and the other fathers pass him. The reason was, first, that we might give a tithe of all the days of the year to God. So St. Gregory, from this day until the gladness of Easter are six weeks, 
or forty-two days, from which, as six Sundays not to be given to fasting must be deducted, there remained only thirty-six days. Thus do we deny ourselves for six and thirty days, as giving the tenth of the three hundred and sixty-five days of the year to God. That we, who have lived by the gift which we have received for ourselves, might for the sake of our Maker mortify ourselves by fasting in his own tithe of time. Whence, brethren, most beloved, as ye are bidden by the law to offer the tithe of your substance, so also offer to God the tithe of your days. St. Ambrose gives another reason, that the Israelites passed by forty-two stations through the desert to the promised land. So we too arrive by forty days of fasting at the longed-for feast and joy of Easter. Whence Tertullian, Cyprian, St. Ambrose, and others call a fast a station. See in Peter Bongus much more concerning the mysteries contained in the number forty. See also St. Jerome on the Paschal Candle. We may add that the Lenten fast is appointed for the spring, not only for the sanctity of the soul, but for the sanity of the body. As Dr. Virginius, professor of medicine at Louvain, in his book called Fasting, the Physician of the Church, says, In spring the blood breaks out in various humors, which produce fevers and various disorders, unless they are kept under by fasting and fish. Mystically, St. Ambrose, on Psalm 111, teaches us that the number 40, in connection with fasting, signifies the whole period of this present life, assigned by God to repentance and expiation of sins, by which we arrive at Easter of a joyful resurrection, and at Pentecost, or the fifteenth day of eternal reward and glory. Moreover, some of the ancient Christians, imitating the example of Christ, were very rigid in the observance of this fast, as Baronius shows, whence Lucian testifies that the early Christians were so accustomed to fasting that they would spend ten whole days without food. More fully writes St. Gregory Nazianzen concerning the monks who live in the deserts of Pontus, that there were many of them who abstained from food twenty whole days and as many nights, imitating Christ in one half of his fast. And St. Augustine writes that there were some in his time who kept a whole week's fast, and that he himself was acquainted with them. He adds, It has been solemnly affirmed to us by brethren worthy of credit that one kept a fast of forty whole days. Afterwards he hungered. The most probable meaning is that Christ felt some sensation of hunger during the forty days, though not such hunger as he did when they were finished, and which incited him to seek for food. With Christ equally as with Moses and Elias, prayer and converse with God were the nourishment both of soul and body throughout the forty days. For they who wholly give themselves up to those things are so fed with their sweetness that they do not experience the pangs of hunger. You will ask whether Christ, by natural strength, could live for forty days without food and drink. I reply, one, both experience and physicians teach that such a thing is impossible to the power of nature. There is the a priori reason against it, that when alignment is withdrawn, the vital heat languishes and dies, as the fire of a lamp is extinguished when oil fails. You may say that Pliny tells us 
that the Indians at the sources of the Ganges live merely by inhaling the smell of fruits and flowers. Rondelius also relates that a certain person lived for forty years upon air alone. Robert Bacon relates that an English girl lived for twenty years in a similar manner. Simon Porteus also says that a girl of Spires about A.D. 1540 lived four years without food. A French priest lived for two years without food at Rome, in the time of Nicholas V. As to what Pliny says, it is fabulous. Odor refreshes the brain, but does not fill the stomach. The other instances were brought about either by divine power or by the devil's art, a wonderful example of which last B. Prosper relates of an Indian girl. A young woman of Spires labored under a disease of slow, viscous, and chilious phlegm, and so was kept alive. In a somewhat parallel manner, Indians, by chewing the herb coca, and Scythians, by the herb hippus, can sustain hunger and thirst for twelve days. 2. Vehement and protracted attention of the mind to other things, such as mathematical, philosophical, or theological speculations, is able to keep a man without food for some time, but not for forty days. And so contemplation alone would not have enabled Christ to live without food for forty days. 3. The fasts of Christ, Moses, Elias, Simeon, Stelites, and such as they, fasting for forty days, was supernatural, arising from a singular providence of God. God in their case suspended for forty days the action of natural heat, and sustained and nourished them internally, so that they lived and flourished during the time, just as even at this present time Enoch and Elias are living well and strong without food for so many thousands of years in the terrestrial paradise, where they feed only upon the spiritual delights of prayer and contemplation. Hungered God, who had for forty days stayed this hunger by his intervention, afterwards withdrew that intervention and gave up the body of Christ to the suffering of hunger, one that he might declare Christ to be true man. As St. Christologos says, to feel and to conquer hunger is a work of human labor. Not to hunger at all is the result of divine power. Secondly, as St. Ambrose says, that the Lord's hunger might be a pious fraud upon the devil, and that the devil, being allured by the appearance of hunger, might tempt Christ as if he were a man, knowing not that he was God. The lowly God-man hungered, that the lofty God-man might not be made known to the enemy, says a certain holy person. End of chapter 4, verses 1 and 2.